it can minister to every one of us, even though we come with different needs through your Holy Spirit, pointing out one thing or something else or through the process of sharing it together that, that just speaks to us. And we ask, Lord, that your word would speak to us this morning through your Holy Spirit working in all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. We'll be looking at two scriptures this morning. Uh, we're continuing to, to look at the idea of submitting to government. And uh, it's not, you know, I think I've shared with you already, the, the whole concept of submission is alien to our flesh, if you will. We, we like to be in control. We like to be in charge. We like to, to know where we're going, how long it's going to take to get there, and, 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 and all of the details that go with that. And I don't know about you, but you know, you're, you make a plans. You've got everything figured out, and you've got the, the you're going on a trip or whatever, and the car's loaded, and everything's ready to go. And you get five miles down the road, and 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 the the, the check engine sight line goes on, or the the flat tire, or whatever it is, anything that gets it kind of out of control and out of sync. And you're saying, you know, all of a sudden everything is frustrated, everything is upset. The the day is is no longer something that you can. You know, you almost can't contend with it sometimes. You get so frustrated. And it's because we want to be in control as much as anything. And it's, uh, it's sometimes, I, I, I've shared, you know, that idea of coming out, seeing your car with a flat tire, and you're in a hurry, and just say, thank you, Lord, for whatever you've spared me from. <laughs> uh, you know, take the attitude that God's in control. There's not everything goes the way we plan. So submission isn't a regular thing for us. We're fiercely independent people. We love uh, our, our, that idea that we're in control of our destiny. Uh, I'm at the helm of my ship, however you want to put it. Uh, you know, getting our college educations and, and, and whatever else is necessary to make a successful life. And we're always on, on chart doing something that shows that we're making every effort to make it work. And by the way, we are called, and that's a whole other issue, but we are called to be prudent with all the resources God has given to us, and as a result, do these things, yes. But when they don't turn out the way we plan, accept the fact that something better is, is ahead and, and something different is, is, is going on. And, and God's in control. He's not missing a beat. He's never late. And so uh, just having that confidence. Well, the same thing is true in reference to submission is, is to government. God's in control there too. And that's another one that's not easy for us to, to accept because we see so many things with the way governments work around the world, literally, uh, at any point in time that are, if you, for lack of a better word, just say out of control, uh, that we wonder where God is in the midst of that. And yet God is putting things together in such a way that at some point in time we're going to be able to stand back and I believe on the other side of eternity, we'll stand back, look at what God has, has put together and say, oh, now I get it, and, and see what he's created. Because sometimes even through the suffering and the pain, great, great things happen. But it's an interesting thing. In the midst of, of a Roman government that was in absolute control uh, of, of the Philistine, uh, Galilee, Judea area, uh, we're told by those who were living under that government that 
we are to submit to it. It wasn't a friendly government. It wasn't friendly to the Hebrew people. It wasn't friendly to the Christian people. And yet it says very clearly submit. And Paul writes to Titus and he says in chapter 3, verse 1, remind them, and the them is from chapter 2, which would be you know, uh, the, the young women, the old women, the, the, you know, all the way around there, you know, uh, the, the young men, the old men. He talks about all of them. He says, now remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient to the, and to be ready for every good work. And we find also in 1 Peter chapter 2, starting with the 13th verse, and I'm just going to read through verse 17. Uh, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the, the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now, it's an interesting thing that it says to honor the emperor, and yet one of the things that, that Christians were being, uh, eventually not at this point, but down the road, were going to be condemned to the uh, arenas and, 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 and other places, uh, ways of death, and, and prisons for was because they wouldn't honor the, 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 the uh, emperor. But you see, there is a point in time, and we've talked about this already, but there's a point in time where we are called to not honor, if you will, when it comes into conflict with God's Word. And what the emperor was doing, and it has already started with Nero, as this was even being written, is, I'm deity. You know, I'm to be worshipped. And the Christian says no. The Jew says no. They would not bow. And as a result, there was a persecution going on, starting with the Jews, but ended up falling into the Christians as well. And that was because they had to take a stand at a point where, here's what God's Word says, there's only one God, bow to only Him. I can't bow to a man's idea of God. And then the consequences. And the interesting thing is, and, I've, and I have looked through it in the New Testament over and over again, and I've, and I've looked through history, and I've read the Book of the Martyrs and a lot of other things, and at the time, at, at this first two or three centuries of the church, there was no one going around pleading their case, that they were innocent, that they needed to change the law, or, or anything like that. They simply, as they confessed Christ as their Savior and refused to bow down to the emperor, they took the consequences. Kind of like Daniel and Meshach and Shadrach and Abednego in the, in the Old Testament. When they refused to bow down to the emperor or to do something that was, that, that was inconsistent with God's word in the sense of, of prayer or worship, they, they stood their ground. And there were the consequences. One was a lion's den and the other was the, the fiery furnace. Of course, we know how both of those turned out. And in this case, the, the, the emperors were the ones that were caught off guard. Uh, but the bottom line is, is that the, re, the, the reality is, is that in as much as it's possible 
to be at peace. This is something that Romans actually says too. As much as it's possible to be at peace, it's up to us to be at peace. So as much as it's possible for us to obey the law of the land that's put out by the government that we are, are under, whatever government that might be, we are obliged to be obedient to it unless it asks us to do something that God forbids or, or tells us not to do something that God tells us to do and that we need to do. So understand that. As much as it's possible, we are to be obedient to the, to the government that is around us in submission to it. And Paul implies here in, in Peter, but or Peter implies it, and Paul implies it uh, as well in Romans, it is a witness and a testimony to the community around us when we are good citizens as much as is possible. Okay, so it's part of our witness and our testimony as well. Uh, I put here just a reminder, though, again, such a right stand when you, when you come and you take that point where you have to say no to the law of the land. It may mean an arrest. could mean prison. could even mean death. And we see over and over again until it led to Paul's death how he turned prison into a ministry. And again, I've said it many times, but I, I'm always amazed at how God works things out. The Praetorian Guard, Caesar's elite guard, palace guard, the only way you would be under their, uh, un- under their covering or if you would be being guarded by them would be as if you were being held as a political prisoner waiting to see Caesar in the palace. That's exactly what Paul was for a season of his life. And as a result, the Praetorian guards had to guard him. He didn't give them any difficulty, but he did take them on as a captive audience. And it says that some of them actually got saved and all of them heard about the gospel. Would they have ever given him the time of day to speak his piece about God, if they, had, you know, if he'd showed up at, at, at their home or at you know, after work with at the at the local, uh, you know, pub, you know, whatever, you know, uh, no. But here he had a captive audience, and many times chained to him, <laughs> and so uh, he shared the gospel with them. It's also important that we understand that as we look around us that we're not to put our faith in government, though. While we're to be obedient to it, it's not where we place our faith. I, I look around and, and I even look at it myself and, and you know, we, we, we joke about it a lot and, and various things and think like in terms of Social Security. Now, some of you are already on Social Security. Many of you may get to draw from Social Security. Uh, the reality is, is that it's, it's not adequate for most people to survive on in our culture. Uh, I'm thinking of my, my sister who survives on uh, a little over $800 a month. Uh, you know, she she paid into Social Security all her life, and, and that's what it's worth to her uh, as her retirement goes. And uh, so, you know, we, we try to get, you know, 
protect our Social Security and have everything there that when we retire, everything will be okay, or however it is that you're looking ahead, hoping that the government will get it right and get it done. The bottom line is is that, and I, and I want all those things to be right. I'm, I'm there myself, so don't misunderstand. But the other side of it is, is that if my faith is resting in their success, I will find myself coming up short. So I can't place my faith in, in, in government. My faith is in Christ. I have to be confident that the God who has saved me is going to see me through and make it happen. Um, there's people, uh, there's le- other levels of this, you know, putting our, our, our confidence in a particular man. Well, if only, you know, how, well, for the last several decades now, uh, from a Christian a- ethic point of view, if we could just get the right man in the right, in the, in the, at the head of the, the helm, whether it's the state or the federal government or whatever, I hope I don't burst anybody's bubble, but we've had a, a few close calls anyway, and still nothing much has changed. Um, I'm not, by the way, opposing the idea of voting your conscience, voting for the things that you believe in, and all of those things. That's, we're, that's part of what we do. But to put your confidence in that, if we could just get the right guy in, that's not where it belongs. It belongs in Christ. If we could just get the, you know, if the right party would get control, if the right leaders... And I, I'm just going to suggest to you that all of that, from a Christian perspective, first, it's put your faith and trust in Christ. Now, with, with going to that, I want to go back to, to uh, Romans uh, also this morning, just quickly, and uh, look at chapter 13 again uh, as part of what we've been going through. Let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your your good. But if you do not... Excuse me, but if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you you also pay taxes. For the authorities are ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all that is owed to them. Uh, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom uh, revenue is owed, and respect to whom respect is owed, and honor to whom honor is owed. And so you have this picture, and all I want to focus on today is the reality that there's two things that God has put over us in a sense. One is a government that I'm looking at from this passage, and the other is himself. You know, we're, we're, in other words, we're under God at first, and then we have the government. And the government's been given something that's kind of interesting here. They've been given the sword. And that caught my interest. And I realized, you know, that what it means is the ability to mete out justice. The one in charge to, to cause penalties to be paid when laws are broken. They have that responsibility, duty, and are charged even by God to do it. 
R.C. Sproul put it as an interesting thing. He says, there's the sword and there's the keys. The sword is what the government has, and, and they're obligated to work around and, 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 and cause us to be protected in such a way and to punish when it's necessary to keep us protected in such a way. And it includes protecting us as a, as a nation as well, this type of thing. And, and then there's, when he gets to the keys, he's referring to the kingdom of God and the keys of the kingdom of God. And, and he says both of these receive their authority from God. The civil government uh, covering a fallen world rules to, uh, to live, you know, brings about the rules to live by. Uh, think about all the things that, that we have to live by. And you say, well, why do we need it? I've even had people say, well, you know, the less government, the better. I tend to lean that way. Uh, but, but there's a point where you need a certain amount. Or people, by their fallen nature, will take advantage of the situation. And so there needs to be control. There needs to be something in charge. And it's interesting, God didn't put the church in charge of this. He put a, 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 the government, if you will, a, a, not a church identity. but And you know, this even goes back to the Old Testament. God kept the government, if you will, out of the temple. There, there was the Levites that were the priesthood, and there was the, the, uh, Judah, uh, uh, the tribe of Judah who provided the kings, if you will, and, and, and the, the, the two were not mixed. In fact, the one time that somebody tried to mix it up, Uzziah, and he was a good guy, really, but he was just frustrated and upset and depressed, and he just said, I'm going to take care of this myself, went into the temple to lead worship, if you will, and found himself uh, in, in trouble because that wasn't his job. So we have this, this picture of... of Government and, and, and church, and, and government has certain authority. And so there's certain things that we... I don't know about you, but I, 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 there's a part of me, and I used to really believe this, especially when I was involved with a, uh, a couple of construction companies. But I kind of, you know, I was one of these people that had the attitude that if I owned a piece of property, I should be able to do what I want with it. You know? If I want to build a house on it, I should be able to build a house on it. If I just want to put a chain link fence around it and just put a dog house on it, I should be able to do that. You know, and the thing is, is that within the framework of the community, you can't do those things without permits. And sometimes the permit says, nope, this, this, this area isn't designated for that. And I'm thinking, but it's my property. Okay, why is that important? Well, I realize it now that I'm a property owner. There's some things that I don't want next door to my property because of the value that it, I want my the house to retain as much value as it can. And something next door to it that, that, that where somebody has done their own thing, if you will, they might devalue that property. So there's, they're, they're trying to find a balance there of everybody. And so it kind of comes to that. You can do whatever you want as long as, that my next attitude, you can do whatever you want as long as it what? Doesn't affect somebody else. And, and to a degree, I think that, that, that there's room for that thought as far as the government's concerned, as far as how much they're going to get involved in things. But uh, speed limit. I almost wished I hadn't said that now. <laughs> Kathy's laughing because she knows my path. 
Past, yeah. Um, I, I'm not sure exactly what happened in August of 1976. No, 75, excuse me. August of 75, my daughter was just a, a few months old. All I remember is, is that the highway patrolman that pulled me over, after he had lectured me, he really had me broken about my inconsiderateness towards my wife and child at the speeds I was traveling, etc. And I came to the conclusion that I could live within the speed limit and pretty much have ever since. That was my last moving violation. Other than I forgot to put my safety belt on once, and I got caught. And, and, and that does happen, so just a reminder. Um, another motivation, I have to confess, though, was the reality that assigned risk insurance followed me for five years. And, I, you know, we have, you know so uh, there was a motivation to get rid of that, too. But the bottom line was is that this officer just days before hadn't been involved at the scene of an accident of a family just like mine, except they were dead. And he was still very moved by that. And when he pulled me over, looked in the car, and saw my wife and baby, and, and he just came unglued. But like I said, by the time he was done lecturing me, he had me convinced I could live within the speed limit. You know, I thought, I'm a good driver. I haven't hit any of these people yet. I don't know, maybe they were getting out of my way. I, I, you know, it just, you know, the bottom line is, is that you have this attitude that somehow the law doesn't apply to you. And we get caught in various areas of that. So there's, we have fines, we have the sword to try to keep us in line so that we obey, we stay somewhere within reason of, of, of what the laws intend for our safety overall. So even the speed limit. And I really do believe as Christians, as much as possible, we need to be obedient even with the speed limit. Somebody says, is there ever a point in time where you can exceed the speed limit? between you, God, and the circumstances that you lay before him. That's all I'm going to say. But the reality is that most of the time we're going to find the answer is, you know, between here and, and Eureka, what am I going to gain for 10 miles an hour? Besides the fact that it may take me longer to get there if I get pulled over. Yeah, uh, besides cost. I'm just saying, we're as Christians, I have a friend. He wouldn't put a bumper sticker on his car. He was a traveling salesman. And he wouldn't put a bumper sticker on his car, a Christian bumper sticker on his car, because he didn't want to be a bad testimony because of how fast he drove. You know, I mean, he's even... I, I, I'm trying to figure out the reasoning behind that still. You know, it's a, the person who doesn't wear a, a Jesus pin because they don't want anybody to see them at the at the, the, the video store and think poorly of Christ because of the movies they're choosing. Uh, you know, it's, I, I just, but, but the idea is, is that we're, we're aware of it. We need controls. 
and the government is there to do that. Rules to live together by and, and, and to get along with each other and to keep us safe. So God has delegated to the state the right to use force when it's necessary, to use you know, judgment or punishment when necessary to get us to do the, the right things. Now, it's interesting, again, what the church is responsible to do. I want you to turn to a familiar passage in Matthew. <laughs> Hi, Matt. I heard him laugh back there. I just had. <laughs> and you know, in Matthew 28, we you know we know the the scriptures well, uh, the Great Commission, and Jesus says to them, uh, said to them, all authority, verse 18 of Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make all the laws of the land so that everybody does exactly what my commandments tell them. That's not what he said at all. He said, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Even Jesus, when he was put up against the government and against his, his, his death, Pilate says, don't you know I have authority? And Jesus says, the only authority you have is the authority the Father's given you. See, it's, it, 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 it's, the reality is, is, is that Jesus says, I'll tell you what kind of authority I have. I have all authority. This is what I want you to do. I'm going to pass some authority on to you. But here's what I want you to do with it. Yes, I want you to turn the world upside down. That's what the apostles were, uh, the, uh, Paul and, and Timothy and Titus, they were being accused. They were, they were at one point in Acts, uh, they, were, they, they saw them coming and heard that they were coming to their town. And they said, oh no, here come the guys that are turning the world upside down everywhere they go. You know, but they weren't doing it by by confronting the government or confronting the laws of the land or, or, or any of those. They were doing it by presenting the gospel. They just kept preaching the gospel. And when they were told they couldn't preach the gospel, at that point they were in conflict with the law of the land. They obeyed the law of God. And they preached the gospel anyway. Sometimes they were arrested. Sometimes they were drug outside the town and beaten. Sometimes uh, you know, Paul was drug outside the town and stoned and left for dead. Uh, being that that was a normal way of capital punishment for that group of people, uh, he may have been dead as all, for all we know, and there was this, um, a miracle resurrection there. Because, and, and you know what Paul did? He got back up and he went back into the town. Peter and James and John, when they got out of prison and, 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 and they, they went and prayed, and they prayed for boldness to go back out and preach the gospel that they had just been arrested for preaching. So it wasn't, they didn't pray for the law to change. They didn't pray for the emperor to die. They, you, know, you know there are Christian groups that have taken credit for praying for, for people to die. No, all they did was go out and preach the gospel because they realized if you really want to change the world, if you really want to turn the world upside down, 
Share Jesus Christ. Lead them to Christ. Give them the Gospel. And when they follow the Gospel, now you teach them about the laws of God. You don't, you don't, expect, you don't expect other people to obey the laws of God that don't know Him. Now I have people say, well, you know, those poor people, they're just going to hell. I'll tell you what, it has nothing to do with breaking that particular law that they're going to hell for. They're going to hell because they didn't receive Jesus Christ. That's the one that's the problem. We're so busy looking at various things that, that, that are making you know, people bad and worse and worser. <laughs> More worse? Worse? Less? Less? And, and, and the bottom line is what we're supposed to be doing is looking at anybody and everybody that will give us the time to share the gospel in some way. And sometimes it's just with your actions. Sometimes it will be with your words. Sometimes it will be just the, the fact that somebody is in need of a hug and you gave it. Or a kind word. Or a meal. Now, in the name of Jesus, you help. Because Jesus saved you, you want them to know. You want to really know what freedom is all about? It comes in Jesus. You really want to know what liberty is all about? It comes in Jesus. You know, you really want to know where peace is all about? It comes in Jesus. Is it really any surprise to anybody in here that the world is in the state that it's in? It shouldn't be. The irony is is it's not much of a different state than it has been all along. The thing that really makes a difference has not to do with governments. It has nothing to do with, with, with those kinds of things. It has to do with people coming to know Christ and living for Him. The church has the authority and therefore the responsibility to preach the word of God. Administer, uh, this is what, uh, again, uh, R.C. Sproul put, preach the word of God, administer the sacraments, and, and, and within the framework of church, raise up the body of Christ. That's what we've been given the responsibility to do. And the, the state has no right to establish uh, a state-approved church. That's separate. You want separation of church and state. That's the important issue. The state has no right to impose a particular faith, belief, or, or, or form of worship on anybody. And it is still responsible to God, however, in all that it does. And I read that part, and I got really sidetracked. Even though they refuse God, they are still going to be accountable to God. And if they misuse their authority, if they abuse their position, if they don't do the things that, that the government is there to do for in the sense of ministering to people and making their lives better when they can, etc., defending them, protecting them, and all these kinds of things, they will be held accountable. And where they fail to honor God, they'll be held accountable there too. 
I was, I have to tell you, I've, I've gotten very sidetracked in, in, in looking at some of the state and, and uh, church issues. And realizing, for instance, at what point in time is it okay to, to, to rebel against a government that's not doing its job as the government? Not as a Christian identity, just in general, as a government. Now, there was a rebellion in, the, you know, in, in, in the North America when they came to the conclusion that the government that was over them was not doing the job that was necessary for their well-being. And, and there was a, a revolution. And it's an interesting thing, as I've been studying this this last couple of weeks, the number of Christians, devout serious, in love with the Lord Christians who are on both sides of the Revolutionary War as far as pro and con. Because some of them had the idea that, so what if our taxes are out of whack? So what if the king is not giving us any representation? He's the king and we're the, the people. He's the government. We, we must submit unless it opposes our faith. And it was an interesting thing. Uh, an unjust taxes issue is a big issue, and it was a big issue in Jesus' time. And Jesus has simply said, Pay unto Caesar what is owed him, and unto God what is owed him. And some of them, they, that was all they needed to hear. Some pastors, some churches, some Christians, that's all they needed. They said, We can't go to war against England. There was a lot of bitterness between churches and over this and churches that split over this and this type of thing. And I came to the conclusion that there may be a number of things that we as Christians will disagree about in reference to how to approach the government with the things of our faith. But even that, we have the liberty to do. And I, I hope in the process that if you have one opinion and someone else has another opinion about how to approach something, that you, you, you give leeway. It's not a cut and dry as you want it to be in some way. There's a matter of conscience that enters in. I have two very, well, they were good, good friends, people I've lost track of since then, in high school that were conscientious objectors, legitimately, because of their, their churches that they went to. And I know, including myself, who, who considered that as a cop-out so that they wouldn't get drafted and have to go to Vietnam. And I look back now, and because and, I knew guys that are Christians that were going to Vietnam. I wasn't a Christian, and I could care less about church at that point. And I had no intention of going to Vietnam. And I didn't. And quite candidly, you know, what it boiled down to is to who you know and a lot of other things. And uh, the the bottom line was is that... that uh, uh, the conscientious objectors uh, were threatened with jail. Well, they were willing. They said, but that's what is necessary. We'll take that. We'll do that. What I would like to, to leave you with this morning in reference to all of this 
is that our primary purpose as Christians is not to change the law of the land, to change the government, to change the way the overall picture of the world and its nations work. Our responsibility is to preach the gospel to a fallen world wherever God puts us. As much as possible, submit to the laws of the land that God puts you in and, 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 and to be a good witness and a good testimony in reference to that. Where God's word stands in opposition and it's clear to you uh, in reference to what you're being asked to do or told to do or told not to do and God's word says, no, you must do this or must not do this, then stand in God's word. And remember that if he allows anything else to happen to you in the sense of consequences for that, even there, God's going to use you to do what? Preach his gospel in some of the strangest places. And I have heard so much of that over the, the years, how that attitude has changed what we would consider an atrocity into an amazing event of grace and mercy and love. So I want to encourage you. Yep, we're to submit to the government. And there's very little in our culture right now where the government actually overrides anything to do with our actual faith. And so, you know, we'll find ourselves at times, you know, very frustrated with the laws of the land. But... We're not being forced to abide by certain things. There's just this is the way that somebody's looking at something. And I go back to the the time that, that all of this was written, and one of the most corrupt empires of uh, of history surrounded these words. And not one time did you hear Peter, Paul, James, Jesus say, "Object, picket, demonstrate." Over and over you heard the word submit. Interesting, isn't it? When it comes to my attitude towards the, the, the government and, and all that is involved there, do I have a Christian attitude towards all the people that are involved in the government around me? And I have to tell you, I don't. And I know it. And I'm thinking as I come to communion, how am I going to deal with that? And all I can suggest to you is what I believe myself, and that is that I am obliged when I come to communion, any time I come to communion, search my heart, O oh God, and reveal to me those things that are inconsistent with you. Convict me. Forgive me. And help me, Lord, to be the man of God you want me to be when I walk out those doors today or the woman of God you want me to be when I walk out those doors and submit that, that you know because Christ submitted God of all creation submitted to the Father's will so that we could have the value of communion today sharing the reality that we have grace, forgiveness, peace with God. And I guess the first and foremost thing is 
the thing that starts that around is submitting to Christ and then continuing to submit and, and ask God to grow us, to change us, to move us, to, to, to strengthen us, to walk with Him closer and closer and closer. Ask the ushers to come and to pass out the communion. If you'd hold it until we've all been served, and we'll, uh, we'll share it together.
being said is that in order for sin to forgive, be forgiven, blood had to be shed. And the only way that, that it could be forgiven completely was perfect blood, untainted blood, blood without sin, from a man without sin, if you will. And there was none. God didn't even bother to look for one. This, the way this all turned out with Christ on the cross pouring out His blood wasn't a second choice. It wasn't God saying, oh, well, man blew it. Now what am I going to do? Before the foundation of the world, God had this in plan, ready to go for us, knowing that we would fall short and He loved us so much that He says, I'm going to provide a way out. And the way out is the pouring out of my Son's blood in your place. And so it was necessary for Jesus to come God in the flesh. It was necessary for Him to empty Himself and that's why Philippians chapter 2 puts it, He emptied Himself and became flesh. And He dwelt among us. And at the night of His what we call the Last Supper with the Apostles, He and His disciples, He, he said, this is my body. He took the bread after giving thanks and breaking it. He'd given it to him. He said, this is my body broken for you. And he asked them as often as they would share this memorial of him coming in the flesh and giving himself as a sacrifice. As often as we would share this, we would do it in remembrance of him. And then taking the cup of wine at the end of the meal, saying, this, this cup now represents my blood poured out, spilled, poured out, in such a way as to say, my life poured out for you. And every Hebrew would understand that. The blood poured out was my life poured out for you, death for you. It confused them quite candidly. They, that's, they still were looking for Jesus to... to change the world, change the government, kick out the Romans, <laughs> and all he was there to do was the gospel. Save lives eternally. He said, this is poured out for you, and as often as you drink it, to do it in remembrance of him, but until he comes again. Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, that... Uh, we can share in a memorial together because the God of all creation loves us. That's what brings meaning to this. If not, if it weren't for that, it would just be grape juice and a cracker. But because of what you've done, it represents life, grace, mercy, forgiveness. 
all the things that we need because you went to the cross for us. Result, we will never have to know the judgment of our sins because you have taken it on yourself. Thank you. But don't allow us to just rest comfortably in that, but realize that with that comes a change of heart. And if that isn't happening, then we need to come back and renew this because, because we need that change of heart that sends us out every day. We're looking and seeking the opportunity to share the grace that each of us has with someone else. I thank you for a person in a restaurant bold enough to speak out to a person like me who had already vowed that the next time he heard a Christian speak, he was going to get up and walk out, basically. Your time, your place, a person willing to say, I will share my testimony. I thank you for that, man. Don't know his name. Never saw him again. And I'm realizing that my grandmother's prayers were answered that day. Someone would come across my life and share. Cause me to be the answer to someone else's prayer, Lord. Your grace is so awesome, so important. Let it be what drives us. In Jesus' name, amen.